When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. When you think about museums, what comes to mind? Maybe you think of expansive, dramatically lit rooms full of pedestals displaying artifacts that are carefully preserved under glass cases. Maybe you think of towering reconstructed dinosaur skeletons or interpretive scale replicas of scenes from history. Or maybe you think of Ben Stiller and Disney movies where museum exhibits magically come to life after hours. Oh, you in trouble, dum-dum. My dum-dum want to talk. But whatever comes to mind when you think of museums, one thing's for certain. They occupy a special and culturally significant space in society. Museums serve not only as historical sanctuaries, but also as serious, culturally authoritative venues that promote knowledge and truth. Their cultural significance means that when museums present artifacts as material evidence for natural and social history, those artifacts represent scientifically valid conversations. And those artifacts serve as evidence for ongoing scientific inquiries. At least, that's what we'd hope. But museums are culturally significant in other ways too. Museums are meant to inspire awe and reflection. They are designed, in fact, to provoke discussion as well as invoke solemn contemplation. Even the word museum comes from the word muse, and it originally meant seat of the muses, which implies an almost spiritual significance. This seemingly spiritual, reverential aspect of museums is ironically similar to some other culturally significant buildings. And I'm talking about cathedrals, mosques, synagogues, and other places of religious worship. In Eden, and there he put the man whom he had created, and the Lord God... Sadly, though, some people, such as young Earth creationist Ken Ham, actually think museums and churches are so similar that they confuse them for the exact same thing. Ken is in fact so confused about the distinctions between the two that he's even gone so far as to establish a now world-famous creation museum. But it's not really famous for the traditional reasons a museum might be famous. This so-called museum poses as a bona fide natural history museum, but is for all intents and purposes, merely a front for young earth creationism. Plus a walk through the animatronic Adam and Eve exhibit is almost guaranteed to creep you out. More than that, since 2007, Ken Ham and his numerous publicity stunts have been embroiled in financial and legal controversy and may even be morally problematic. So let's dig into all of it on today's episode of The Corporate Casket. We're seeing people in, in being indoctrinated to believe that creationists can't be scientists. Man's word literally and God's word allegorically. He should be judging man's word with and answered a lot of questions, such as what happened to the dinosaurs. It is a really fascinating area. Learning all it's about like dinosaurs. They're really right. upset that we talk about We've dinosaurs. We've got the corner on science. Oh yeah, they think that they own the dinosaurs. They own everything. We have no. Before we really dig into this, I'd like to point out that I know religion can be a really touchy subject. I want to make it clear that I'm not criticizing Ken Ham's personal beliefs here, just the controversial way in which he promotes them. 
As far as I'm concerned, you can believe whatever you want or believe in nothing at all. Honestly, as long as you don't cause harm to others, the rest is none of my business. But with that out of the way, let's head on over to Petersburg, Kentucky and take a closer look at Ken Ham's Creation Museum because it's, well, it's really something. The Bible states that God created the universe and all life on earth in six days. So dinosaurs in the Garden of Eden. The Creation Museum was established in 2007 and was funded almost entirely by private donations. The museum collection and its various state-of-the-art exhibits are contained within a 75,000-square-foot, crescent-shaped facility that, from the outside, resembles a mid-1990s library or maybe a nice community college. The building is surrounded by gorgeous botanical gardens designed to make you marvel at the beauty of God's creation. We'll just ignore the irony that the gardens are meticulously cultivated by mere mortals with the help of sophisticated mechanical misting systems, but hey, God's creations. Also surrounding the museum, peppered throughout the gardens and near the entrance are statues of dinosaurs and other long extinct creatures. Now this may seem out of place for a Bible-based museum, but one of the central claims of this museum is that dinosaurs lived alongside humans and all other creatures at the time of Noah's worldwide flood. Amazingly, the collection actually features an immaculately preserved Allorosaurus skull from Colorado Morrison Formation. And they call this skull the Ebenezer of Allorosaurus. Ebenezer's skull sits in a glass case opposite a replica of the rest of his skeleton. Ebenezer's bones are remarkable because they were found mostly intact, arranged in their correct anatomical positions, a fact that supposedly attests to the reality of a global flood. How it does this though, I have no idea, but that is the claim. Inside the museum, visitors are greeted with several other exhibits featuring real artifacts and interpretive scenes. Upon entering, visitors are met with a towering skeleton, reminiscent of an entrance to Jurassic Park, except this isn't a dinosaur. It's a woolly mammoth skeleton and it's a replica. And honestly, it's a striking scene. It's also common for actual museums to display something breathtaking like this at their entrances. So this is not out of the ordinary at all. But beyond the mammoth, there's a world of wonders to behold. There's the aforementioned Ebenezer exhibit, but you can also stroll through the Garden of Eden, which is basically a carpeted walkway that funnels you through scenes of the Genesis creation story. From day one, when God created the heavens and the earth, to day six, when Adam and Eve were supposedly placed in the garden. And whatsoever Adam called every living creature. This exhibit is replete with artificial tropical foliage to, again, inspire awe of God's creation, even though this is all synthetic, and it features an odd assortment of animals that don't really make sense. I mean, there's a penguin hanging out with an antelope in what looks like a balmy South American jungle. But if that's not weird enough, then there's also some really creepy animatronic Adam and Eve's reenacting original sin and other stories from Genesis. Honestly, these things look like a combination of Madame Tussauds and Chuck E. Cheese kind of animatronics, simultaneously impressive yet uncanny as hell and ultimately quite terrifying. If you've ever been to Universal Studios or Disney World and visited one of the older animatronic attractions like maybe Jaws or Pirates of the Caribbean, the original ride from the 1960s, not the one that had been updated since the Johnny Depp movies, then you kind of have an idea of what to expect, like those types of animatronics. And you know what? There's a reason these animatronics give off this vibe. 
They were designed by Patrick Marsh, who's the same guy who designed several classic Universal Studios rides. The amount of money they dump into this to try and validate the stories of Genesis or whatever is kind of insane. And look, Ken can spend his own personal money however he wants. But if I donated to this museum, I'd be a little bit annoyed that my donations were funding super expensive carnival spectacles rather than something like research. But maybe that's what these donors were after. As for actual artifacts, the museum proudly displays a collection of sedimentary rocks and some really impressive fossils. This collection, of course, is part of an exhibit about the evidence for Noah's flood. I mean, what else could they possibly be evidence for? Curiously, this flood exhibit also speculates that the evidence for prehistoric continental configurations, such as Pangaea and Rodinia, also support the flood narrative. You see, the catastrophic process of the flood would have drastically rearranged continental land distribution within the 6,000 year timeframe of the Earth's existence. Of course, it couldn't have been something like plate tectonic over millions and millions of years because that's just, Next, that's just a silly, goofy story. Confusion. And this is gonna take us back to the biblical story of the Tower of Babel when God made everyone Now, for those looking for languages. the perfect family vacation, well, the Creation Museum is apparently your one-stop shop. In addition to what we've already described, there's also an on-site planetarium in which you can watch a laser show with vividly realistic images on a 30 meter diameter tilted dome. This is another bask in the beauty of God's creation kind of thing, and it is awe-inspiring to some extent. But it's also just kind of like weird Christian astrology. Like they play a video featuring pseudoscientists trying to explain how the night sky confirms God's words in the book of Genesis. Oh. And there's also zip lines, a petting zoo, and a bookstore named Dragon Hall. Maybe like a Knights Templar thing. I'm not entirely sure. One thing is for sure though, Ken Ham is aware of the monetary potential. After all, not only is he the mastermind behind the Creation Museum, but he's also responsible for the Ark Encounter in Williamstown, Kentucky, which is a full-size Noah's Ark built according to the dimensions given in the Bible. So this thing is 510 feet long, 85 feet wide, and 51 feet tall. These two attractions draw 7,000 visitors per day, nearly half a million visitors annually, and it's seen more than 10 million people come through since 2007. Some days this place looks as crowded as a Walmart on Black Friday. You could almost say that for Ken, the floodgates have opened. But besides the whole money-making potential of all of this, why would someone go to such great lengths to build and promote all of this stuff? Remember, these efforts are almost entirely funded by donations and government bonds, but we'll get to that in a minute. So let's take a closer look and find out. And you know, just because the majority believe something doesn't mean it was right. I had someone once who said to me, but the majority couldn't be so wrong about the age of the universe, could they? I said, well, the majority of scientists didn't survive the flood either. Ken Ham is an internationally known Christian speaker, blogger, author, radio show host, podcaster, and businessman. He's also the co-founder and CEO of Answers in Genesis, which is a Christian apologetics ministry organization that promotes biblical literalism and young earth creationism. You know, Peter and Paul didn't get asked questions about carbon dating, right? That's a 20th century invention. Martin Luther in the 16th century didn't get asked questions about dinosaurs. The word dinosaur is a modern word made up in 1841. They had to deal with attacks on God's word. But in the 1800s, atheists, primarily atheists, who rejected God's word, who didn't believe in the The organization also operates both the Creation Museum and the Ark Encounter. 
As if that wasn't enough, Ken has also appeared on CBS News, Nightly News with Brian Williams, PBS, and many more mainstream news networks. With credentials like those, you'd expect him to be some larger than life, boisterous TV Bible thumper who preaches so aggressively that he looks like Chris Farley's Matt Foley motivational speaker SNL skit. But instead, he looks and behaves more like the guy who sells organic butter at your local farmer's market, but with an Australian accent. So what's his deal? Well, Ken Ham has never been much of a self-promoter, really. The thing that made him a force to be reckoned with was his unique strategy for promoting his ministry and his weird touristy attractions. You see, what sets him apart from other high-profile Christian figures is his penchant for organizing provocative publicity stunts to garner mainstream media attention and raise massive amounts of money for his businesses and his ministry. And you know what? This strategy has worked surprisingly well for him. There's a difference between what you actually observe directly and then your interpretation in regard to the past. We're we're talking about the past when we weren't there. We didn't see those tree rings actually forming. We didn't see those layers being laid down. His famous 2014 creationism versus evolution debate against Bill Nye the Science Guy, for example, has been watched by 25 million people, attracted the attention of mainstream news outlets, and inspired a funding frenzy that helped bail out his long-delayed $72 million ARC encounter. Proceeds from that one singular event resurrected the ARC project. According to Ken, quote, the high profile debate helped encourage more of our ministry friends to get involved in the past few weeks. We praise our creator God for his blessing and for the incredible support we just witnessed from our generous supporters around the country. Such a strategy really is a departure from the most high profile Christian communicators. And on the surface, it seems a little bit disingenuous to me, like he's promoting and professing spiritual truth, but basically just kind of stirring shit up at the same time. He's creating outrageous spectacles just to kind of clickbait people in real life. Many other highly successful Christian speakers like Joel Osteen, for example, try very hard not to be too provocative or controversial. But once you dig a little deeper, things start to make sense. You start to see that from his point of view, it's imperative to engage people in this way. Kenham isn't just stirring up shit for funsies. He's trying to validate his religious message by setting a high standard and interacting with scientific authorities on their terms. You see, Ken Ham is a Christian apologist. And for those of you that don't know, Christian apologetics is a form of spiritual philosophical thought that's fundamentally concerned with the intellectual defense of the Christian faith. Ken espouses a brand of what he calls presuppositional apologetics, which means his reasoning starts with the assumption that God exists and the Christian Bible should serve as the basis of all thinking. Ken's first principle, so to speak, is biblical authority. Atheists, primarily atheists, who rejected God's word, who didn't believe in the flood of Noah's day, said all the fossils were laid down over millions of years This is the idea that the Christian Bible is literally true word for word and that everything we're meant to know and experience can be found and contained within its pages. For Ken, if any idea in the world seems to challenge the Bible and you can't somehow corroborate it with scripture, well, that idea can be dismissed as patently false. Keep all of this in mind as Ken's background is central to his motivation. Weirdly enough, Australian-born Ken Ham got his start as a public school science teacher. He earned a bachelor's degree in applied science with an emphasis in environmental biology, which is quite interesting. And this is coming from a guy who apparently doesn't believe in evolution. But while he was teaching, he was forced to put his personal creationist views aside to teach evolution via natural selection. He grew frustrated that students found evolution not only convincing, 
but they also seemed to think it disproved the biblical account of creation. He desperately wanted to teach creationism as a possible alternative. So armed with what he learned from teaching science, he set out on a personal mission to fight against the persuasive power of evolution. Ken moved to the United States in 1987 and started giving back to Genesis lectures, which focused on how evolution itself was eroding culture and needed to be stopped, and how a literal reading of the book of Genesis reveals the true origins of the universe and a roadmap of sorts for how society should be conducted. Eventually, these lectures evolved into his organization, Answer in Genesis, which he established in 1997. And I swear, his backstory could make for one hell of an epic villain origin story. And I'd argue that his degree and background in science make him an even more effective debater, no matter how wrong he is. The mission of Answer in Genesis is to combat the secular decay of society by proclaiming the gospel of Jesus effectively, which in their estimation means systematically defending it. Part of systematically defending the faith against the onslaught of science and evolution is understanding what scientists and evolutionists value and meeting them there first. Science values facts, therefore the battle lines can be drawn at facts. According to Answer in Genesis, quote, facts don't speak for themselves, they must be interpreted. That is, there aren't separate sets of evidences for evolution and creation. We all deal with the same evidence. We all live on the same earth, have the same fossils, observe the same animals, etc. The difference lies in how we interpret what we study. And that's a fair enough statement, I guess. So how does one go about interpreting facts then? I bet you can see where this is going. But Answers in Genesis says this, quote, the Bible provides a reliable eyewitness account of the beginning of all things and can be trusted to tell the truth in all it touches. I guess we can just disregard the fact that the Bible's been rewritten multiple times in multiple languages where things don't translate 100%, or the fact that there's like, what, at least half a dozen, maybe 10, 20, 30, 40, 50, 60, I don't know how many different versions of the Bible running around out there right now. And they do vary in what they say. So which one is the true Bible? And again, I'm like, that's just more interpretation. I'm like, it just doesn't add up, chief. Which one do you want to believe in? And if someone reads a different one from the one you read, but they're mostly the same. Who's who's the believer? Who's the non-believer? Are they both believers? Are they confused? There's just, it's a lot because there isn't just one Bible. That's kind of also the other larger problem here, but I digress. Now to be charitable for the sake of it, Ken Ham believes that the creation story is the word of God. So the logic goes more like God himself wrote down a story, therefore it's true. If you believe in that particular conceptualization of God, then that logic does have a bit more heft to it. But if, as Ken Ham's mission states, you're basically engaged in a culture war against science, people who don't base their thinking on the presumption of God's existence aren't going to be convinced by that logic. So what is an apologist to do? Ken Ham's solution to this problem is to mimic scientists and secular spectacles in order to gain visibility and mainstream credibility. He describes this strategy in a 2016 Forbes article saying, quote, if you do something in a first-class professional way with the quality you'd see at Disney, Universal, or the Smithsonian, it will give you a reputation such that people will talk about it and come back and by word of mouth, encourage others to come. A lot of times Christians are seen as doing things in a cheesy way and in a secular world is seen as doing things in a professional first-class way. We want even the skeptics to admit that what we present is done in a first-class way. Apologists will get college degrees to come across as legitimate, educated professionals. 
They'll call their religious propaganda facilities museums, and they'll publicly engage with notable secular authorities like Ken Ham did when he challenged Bill Nye to a debate about evolution that would be live-streamed online. And oh boy, did that make for quite an interesting mess. Saying you're saying, well, there's nothing there. What do you mean there's nothing there? There's enough to fly on. Bill Nye the Science Guy. An entire generation grew up learning about science by watching Bill Nye the Science Guy on TV. The show was revolutionary in the way it fused education with children's entertainment. Yes, it was still very much a kid's show. It was produced by Disney and featured its fair share of silly sound effects and goofy characters. But Bill himself was an eccentric, lanky man wearing a blue lab coat and bow tie who was passionate about science. That's quite the departure from the crazy puppets, flashy colors, and silly voices that children's programming at the time relied on. This is a volcano. So is this. So is this, whoa! Actually, volcanoes are supposed to do this. It's one way for the inside of the earth to get to the outside. Bill was different because kids could tell that he really believed science was important and useful. His show even had segments where he debunked pseudoscience. He even debunked astrology in an episode. That kind of honesty really resonates with children. So it comes as no wonder then that an entire generation respects him. For Ken Ham, holding an internationally televised debate with Bill Nye was a no-brainer. Ken wants to counteract science and evolution. So it makes sense to go after a celebrity whose stage name literally has the word science in it and who's beloved by an entire generation. Ken would be able to speak to the largest audience he's ever had. Bill Nye, however, accepted the challenge with some trepidation. He had been warned that a debate of that scale may give Ken Ham undeserved attention, but Bill was a science educator and just had put up a good showing to support evolution, a subject that already far too many people don't understand super well. Now, Mr. Ham and his followers have this remarkable view of a worldwide flood that somehow influenced everything that we observe in nature, a 500-foot wooden boat, eight zookeepers for 14,000 individual animals, every land plant in the world underwater for a full year. I ask us all, is that really reasonable? The fundamental thing we disagree on, Mr. Ham, is this nature of what you can prove to yourself. When people make assumptions, they're making assumptions based on previous experience. They're not coming out of whole cloth. So Bill sought to demolish Ken Ham's arguments in front of tens of millions of people. And by many accounts, that's exactly what he did. But for Ken, the whole thing was never about winning. It was about participating in a formal debate with a revered opponent. Simply showing up prepared and displaying all the necessary decorum was enough to gain Ken the kind of notoriety and respect that caused huge upticks in donations and visitors to his facilities. NPR said that the showdown was like manna from heaven for Ken. But more than that, the debate gave him a platform to argue his faith. Because in Ken's mind, simply the act of challenging scientific claims is enough to disrupt the authority of science. And to properly challenge authority, you need to come across as authoritative. So what better way to seem authoritative than by appropriating the signifiers of culturally authoritative spaces, like formal debate stages? In a 2012 academic paper titled Genesis in Hyperreality, Legitimizing Disingenuous Controversy at the Creation Museum, the authors make the case that the Creation Museum is an argumentative structure intended to foster a culturally authoritative space for young earth creationists to validate that there is, in fact, ongoing scientific controversy over evolution, which there isn't. 
According to the paper, quote, since the late 19th century, the public museum has become an important sign of cultural authority. As a matter of rhetorical strategy, the very act of naming the site a museum rather than a religious center frames the project within the technical sphere of natural history and draws its credibility from accepted practices of collection and display. The reason this is argumentative is that the Creation Museum looks like a museum, it calls itself a museum, but it's not actually a museum. It's not recognized as one by the American Association of Museums because it doesn't house an ascensioned collection, which is a permanent collection of items that are held in a public trust that serve as material evidence for natural historical events. In other words, it's not backed up by science. Instead, the Creation Museum relies on creationist thinking, which begins with a conclusion, then cherry picks objects that they pass off as evidence. Here's an example of what I'm talking about. The fact that fossils existing doesn't imply anything about Noah's flood. Fossils only prove that life forms somehow became fossilized. But the Creation Museum inductively asserts that the flood was fact, and therefore the existence of fossils proves the flood even though there's a multitude of ways creatures can become fossilized. See how that's a bit argumentative and even a little bit confusing to a degree? But that's probably one of the more clear examples. It's really convoluted and that's also kind of the point. So now that we can see how this, the Creation Museum, the Ark Encounter, Answers in Genesis, debates with Bill Nye and, and you know all of this is just part of Ken Ham's massive campaign to push back against science and validate his faith. But how is any of this actually controversial? After all, any kind of consensus still has dissenters. Before we jump into the controversies surrounding all of the many facilities and projects and all that, let's take a quick moment to thank today's sponsor. It's the calm before the storm, but now you can prepare your e-commerce business for the holiday rush way in advance by using ShipStation. Whether you're shipping from your house or a warehouse, ShipStation can help increase your profitability. Save time automating your shipping and returns in the ShipStation dashboard and keep costs down with industry-leading carrier discounts while your holiday orders roll in. And ShipStation is super easy to use. You can get started on desktop or through the app as something I learned in the past couple weeks or month at this point. You add all the stores that you're selling, whatever you're selling in. And that even includes like if you have a little Shopify shop, Amazon, Etsy, eBay, and more. You link those all in there. And then every time an order comes in, it pulls over to ShipStation and then you can you know, have the address put in and then you can compare your shipping rates and see what's gonna be best for that particular item that you're sending. You can quickly and easily update crucial order information and reduce errors, which of course leads to happy customers. And ShipStation has enterprise solutions that reduce warehouse costs and improve profitability. So it grows as you do. And with ShipStation, you'll get discounts up to 84% off USPS and UPS rates. And you'll get industry-leading discounted rates from DHL and Global Post too. Over 130,000 companies have grown their e-commerce businesses with ShipStation. And 98% of companies that stick with ShipStation for a year become customers for life. So set your business up for the holiday season success with ShipStation. Go to ShipStation.com and use code CASKET today and sign up for your free 60-day trial. That's ShipStation.com, code CASKET. Sign up today and get your free 60-day trial at ShipStation.com, code CASKET. Answers in Genesis and Cedarville College present...
Answers with Ken Ham. A 12-part video series defending the Bible from the very first verse. Today's question, do animals evolve? Perhaps unsurprisingly, one obvious controversy is that Ken Ham and his various enterprises are posing as intellectual, educational entities when, in fact, they just promote religious beliefs. They're parading as science without being scientific, and that's doing such a disservice to science and to education. Scientific inquiry is based on the scientific method, where hypotheses are tested until they can be replicated consistently without any prior biases of the results. Scientific peer reviews ensure that any proposed theories are open to investigation and opposition. But nobody can test Ken Ham's claims in a similar matter, and that makes them unscientific claims. Contrary to what Ken believes, science education is actually failing because of people like him that don't use the scientific method, teach about it, or even acknowledge it exists. And his efforts are only exacerbating things. But if this was only one controversy, I wouldn't really be discussing it in a full episode. So let's talk about another one. For one, Ken's efforts have caused a scandal over $62 million in TIF bond financing. Now TIF, I'm just gonna call them TIF bonds, are basically government investments that are intended to stimulate public infrastructure. Answers in Genesis hired America's Research Group, which is a known market research firm, to study the market and evaluate his business's potential earning power and economic influence. They determined that the attractions would infuse $4 billion into the local economy over the next 10 years and would create 20,000 jobs. These projections convinced Grant County to invest in Ken Ham's developments because they thought the attractions would stimulate the economy and provide incrementally increasing tax revenue from tourism. Money does run the world after all. Obviously, this is problematic due to the religious nature of Ken's businesses and you know that whole pesky constitutional separation of church and state thing. But I think it's also worth bringing up again how gross it is that so much of this money is going towards creepy animatronics. Also in 2015, Ken Ham was engaged in a lawsuit against the state of Kentucky for $18 million in denied tax rebate incentives. According to Kentucky's tourism board, Answers in Genesis requires a salvation testimony and a creation belief statement as a condition for employment. Obviously, this is religious discrimination. Ken, of course, claimed that the state was infringing his right to freedom of religion, not realizing apparently that the state was stepping in precisely to protect that very right. Additionally, the tourism board claimed that Ark Encounter's redesignation from a for-profit venture to a non-profit one breached the tax incentive agreement. In order for Ark Encounter to qualify for the tax incentives, it had to operate as a for-profit venture, which it did from 2010 to 2017. This move, of course, should disqualify the park from receiving the aforementioned tax incentives, but it would allow the park to claim religious tax exemptions. It's hard to tell what exactly Ken and Answers in Genesis were up to with this move, but to me, the fact that Ken is shifting around the tax statuses of his projects seems a little bit scammy. As recently as 2019, Ken was caught up in yet another tax lawsuit. This time around, the Grant County Board of Education argued that the Ark Encounter attraction had become way more profitable than previously assessed. And as a result, the county was now missing out on tax revenue that should be going to public schools. According to the lawsuit in 2017, Answers in Genesis paid nearly $276,000 in taxes. But if the property had been assessed at the appropriate higher rate, they would have paid $746,200. 
Answers in Genesis said they were faithfully paying their property taxes each year as assessed by the county's property valuation administrator as required by law. So yeah, he's actually taking money away from legitimate educational institutions that ironically probably teach actual science to fund his evangelical efforts, essentially stealing money from kids. It's a little hyperbolic. I do do admit to that, it's a little dramatic, but taking money from the education system to teach kids and you're kind of removing that opportunity from them. And I suppose that's honestly the general problem with Ken Ham's projects and his promotional methods in general. He says he's operating on pure faith, reaching millions of people with his methods, yet his business decisions seem shrewd, calculated, and kind of questionable. And while he's not really putting his faith to the test like all the martyrs and missionaries throughout history, in a way, he's testing it more earnestly by exposing himself to all the evidence and counter arguments that science can throw at him. Ultimately, I don't think that Ken Ham is being dishonest or exploiting faith just to gain wealth and influence, though he certainly has both. But I do think that he's being deliberately manipulative, much in the same way lawyers may sometimes hide behind the words of the law to justify defending terrible criminals. This whole thing seems to be a bit more about his ego and stubborn defiance than about witnessing or sharing God's word with others. Sure, he does hide behind the charge of sharing God's word, but he's coming from a place of combativeness and scheming. Because after all, his Creation Museum, Ark Encounter, and Debate with Bill Nye are really just argumentative texts and nothing more. But with all of that being said, that's where we're going to end today's episode of The Corporate Casket. Let me know what you thought of this episode. I know this was kind of an oddball one. I remember hearing the story about this man building like a life-size replica of an Ark like so many years ago before I realized that this is actually the same guy and this was the same story. So I just find it really interesting how just this weird little nugget in the back of my brain from like over a decade ago comes back into a full episode. But with that being said, of course, that is the end of today's episode. Thank you so much for joining me. As always, I really appreciate it and I'll see you in the next one. Bye. Next will be the area of confusion. And this is gonna take us back to the biblical story of the Tower of Babel, when God made everyone have different languages, which resulted into all our different nationalities.